The talk you are about to hear is by Roshi Amala Wrightson, teacher at the Auckland Zen Center. Today <clears throat> is day six of our summer seven-day session, the 11th of January, 2024. And for Teisho today, we're going to take up a koan. It's number two in the Hekigon Raku, the Blue Cross record. Joshua's The Great Way is Not Difficult. So this is, this is Joshua quoting the first line of Affirming Faith in Mind. And... Um, it was apparently one of his favorite teachings. He came back again and again to it. So this is this is our case. Joshua, teaching the assembly, said, "The great way is not difficult for those who do not pick and choose. With but a single word, there may arise picking and choosing." or there may be clarity. This old monk does not abide within clarity. Do you appreciate the meaning of this or not? Then a monk asked, if you do not abide in that clarity, what do you appreciate? Joshua said, I don't know that either. The monk said, since you don't know, how can you say that you do not abide within clarity? Joshua said, it is enough that you ask about the matter. Now make your bows and retire. That's a little bit about Joshua, Jao Joel. Um, he's one of the greatest of the Zen masters and, and a beloved teacher up until today. Um, he appears in uh, seven cases in the Mumonkan and 12 in the Hikiganroku, so we get to know him well and his style. I'm just going to be reading from Affirming Faith in Mind, uh, sorry, uh, from... Uh, Andy Ferguson's Zen's Chinese Heritage. Some, some stories and material on Zhao Zhou. His full Chinese name is Zhao Zhou Tsongshen, and his dates are 778 to 897. So he lived to, to be 120 like the 20th century teacher, Xu Yun. Zhao Zhou was a disciple of Nan Chuan, Nan Sen in, in the Japanese form. He came from ancient Cao Zhou near the modern city of Herze in Shandong province. 
Zhao Zhou's first great awakening was at the age of 18, after receiving ordination on Mount Song as a young man, he found guidance from several, for several decades under Nan Chuan until the leader's death. At that time, while already in his 50s, Zhao Zhou set out traveling to further cultivate his practice. During this period, he had several he met several illustrious teachers, such as, such as Hung, Hung Bo, Jia Shan, Yang Guan, and many others. Eventually, Zhao Zhou was invited to settle and teach at the Kuan Yin Monastery, located in Zhao Zhou. Um, this is the, was then the town of Zhao Zhou, famous for a bridge across the river that passed through it. Um, and this, this, temp, this monastery still exists. It's now called Bailansa, um, which I think means Cypress Tree mon Monastery. Um, and it's in the, in the, uh, in the city, Zhao uh, Xian, now it's called, in the city of Hebei province. And it's a thriving center. We visited it when we were on pilgrimage in 2001. And it was one of the few places where we saw what looked to be um, genuine practice happening, teaching. We were adopted by a young monk who spoke a little bit of English, and he took us on a tour of the, the monastery, uh, carrying a huge um, English-Chinese dictionary with him, the size of a big encyclopedia. and. Um, he took us to different locations where he invited us to act out um, koan stories that involved Joshua. Um, it's really one of the, the highlights of our trip, visiting there. Zhao Zhou's fame spread throughout China. Although he had 13 Dharma heirs, his lineage soon died out. Among the many stories and koans concerning Zhao Zhou is Zhao Zhou's Wu, the most famous one. Um, the story, of course, everybody knows. Um, a monk asked Zhao Zhou, Joshu, does even the dog have the Buddha nature? And Zhao Zhou answered, Wu. Wu is the... Is the Chinese in Japanese move. Jiaozhou's arrival at Mount Nanchuan is uh, recorded in the lamp records. These are a repository of many, many Tang Dynasty stories about masters, their students. Upon their first meeting, Nan Chuan, who was lying down and resting, asked Zhao Zhou, where have you come from? Zhao Zhou said, I've come from Ru Xiang Monastery. Nan Chuan said, did you see the standing omens figure? That's the meaning of Ru Xiang, omen figure. So omen, omen statue, maybe. Zhao Zhou said, no, but I've seen a reclining Tathagata. 
Nanchuan got up and asked, as a novice monk have, you, monk, have you a teacher or not? Zhao Zhou replied, I have a teacher. Nanchuan said, who is your teacher? Zhao Zhou stepped in front of Nanchuan and said, in the freezing winter cold, a prostrate monk only asks for the master's blessings. Nanchuan approved Zhao Zhou's answer and permitted him to enter the monk's hall. Um, we have in this little exchange a, a typical example of of Chinese love of um, indirect answers. Another very well-known exchange is um, between Zhao Zhou and, and Nan Chuan. When Zhao Zhou was um, a novice in training, and I'll just be switching back and forth between the Japanese and Chinese names. It's good to get used to both, and some of the texts we're working from are in the Japanized forms of the names, and some are in Chinese. So. Um, Rather than trying to substitute everything, we'll just um, we'll switch back and forth between Joshua and Nansen and Zhao Zhou and Nanchuan. This is this is recorded in the in the Mumonkan as a as a koan to work on. Joshua asked Nansen, "What is the way?" Nansen asked answered, "Ordinary mind is the way." Joshua asked, shall I try to seek after it? If you try to seek after it, you go away from it, answered Nansen. Joshua, if I do not try for it, how can I know the way? Nansen, the way is not a matter of knowing or not knowing. Knowing is illusion, not knowing is blankness. If you attain to this way of no doubt, it is as boundless as vast space. So how can there be right and wrong in the way? At these words, Joshua was suddenly enlightened. A few more little stories here. One day, Zhao Zhou, Joshua, asked Nan Chuan, Nan Sen, where do people with knowledge go when they die? Nanchuan said, they go to be bull water buffaloes down at the Tans and Yue's houses at the base of the mountain. Tans and Yue's houses is like saying um, the, Smiths, the Smiths and the Jones. Zhao said, thank you for your instruction. Nanchuan said, last night during the third hour, the moon reached the window. We, we can all aspire to become water buffaloes down at the local shopping center. Nanchuan said, people of this time must practice diff among different species. Zhao Zhou said, not to speak of different, 
What do you mean by species? Nan Xuan got down on all fours. Zhao Zhou shoved him over with his foot. Zhao Zhou then went into the Nirvana Hall, that's the temporary, the temple infirmary, and yelled, sorry, sorry. Nan Xuan instructed his attendant to ask Zhao Zhou, what are you sorry about? Zhao Zhou said, I'm sorry I didn't kick him again. These guys are really having fun together. Zhao Zhou entered the hall and addressed the monks, saying, It's like a lustrous pearl in your hand. If a foreigner comes, a foreigner reveals it. If a Chinese comes, a Chinese reveals it. This old monk uses a blade of grass as a 60-foot golden statue. I also use a 60-foot golden statue as a blade of grass. Buddha is affliction. Affliction is Buddha. A monk said, I don't understand whose house is afflicted by Buddha. Zhao Zhou said, all people are afflicted by Buddha. The monk asked, how can affliction be avoided? Zhao Zhou said, why avoid it? Next time we're really suffering acutely as a result of affliction, mental, physical, emotional, we can take encouragement from Zhao Zhou's positive response to affliction. Affliction doesn't need to be avoided. One day Zhao Zhou was sweeping. A monk asked, the master is a great worthy, why are you sweeping? Zhao Zhou said, dust comes in from the outside. The monk said, it is a pure temple. Why then is there dust? Zhao Zhou said, hmm, there's some more. A monk asked, before the flower of awakening has come forth, how does one distinguish pure reality? Zhao Zhou said, it's blossomed. The monk asked, is it purity or is it reality? Zhao Zhou said, purity is reality and reality is purity. The monk asked, what is the transcendent affair of people? Zhao Zhou said, I'm part of it, you're part of it. What about before I was ordained? Zhao Zhou pretended not to hear the monk. The monk remained silent. Zhao Zhou said, go. The rock flag has been blown in two by the wind. A new monk came to the monastery. He said to Zhao Zhou, I've just arrived here. 
I asked the master to provide some instruction. Zhao Zhou said, have you eaten? The monk said, yes, I've eaten. Zhao Zhou said, go wash your bowl. On, appear, on hearing these words, the monk was enlightened. The monk asked, how old is the master? Zhao Zhou said, a long string of pearls without end. The monk asked, whose dharma did the master inherit? Zhao Zhou said, Tsongshen's. The monk asked, if suddenly someone from outside asked the master, what dharma does Zhao Zhou expound? What you, would you say? Zhao Zhou said, the salt is expensive, but the rice is cheap. Zhao Zhou asked a monk, how many desutras do you read in one day? The monk said, oh, sometimes seven or eight, sometimes 10. Zhao Zhou said, oh, then you can't read sutras. Master, how many do you read a day? In one day, I read one word. At your venerable age, Master, how many teeth do you have left? Zhao Zhou said, just one. Zhao Wang said, can you still eat things? Zhao Zhou said, although there's only one, it's still chewing. Zhao Zhou then gave Zhao Wang his whisk and said, if you asked where this came from, I couldn't tell you even if I spent my whole life trying to. This gives, gives you some flavour here. There's so many of many stories, but we'll we'll um, go on. Last one. A monk asked, "Does the cypress tree in the garden have Buddha nature or not?" Zhao Zhou said, "It has." The monk asked, when will it become a Buddha? Zhao Zhou said, when the great void falls to earth. The monk asked, when will the great void fall to earth? Zhao Zhou said, when the cypress becomes a Buddha. Zhao Zhou died on the second day of the 11th month in the year 897. And he simply lay down on his right side and passed away at the age of 120. When, when you read all of these different um, stories, some of, some of which are quite a bit longer than the ones we read, uh, it's a parent, after spending the, most of the week with affirming faith in mind, that the, there are echoes of this chant all through his teaching, references to 
um, particular lines, not 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 labelled as such, but there in the, in the in his teaching. Have a look now at this this case. Break it down a bit. Joshua, teaching the assembly, said, "The great way is not difficult for those who do not pick and choose. If you are free, oops, no, sorry, it's my interpretation." The great way is not difficult for those who do, do not pick and choose. With but a single word there may arise picking and choosing, or there may be clarity. This old monk does not abide within clarity. Do you ap appreciate the meaning of this or not? So he's, we can take this, this initial statement from the beginning of Affirming Faith in Mind. Um, the great way is not difficult for those who do not pick and choose. As Joshua telling us, if you're free of attachments, then you're enlightened. As we said in the, in the first uh, talk, um, this, this, you could see this, this pithy start to the, to the chant as a, a summing up of um, the Four Noble Truths, the most basic teaching of Buddhism. Here's what um, Hakuin said about this teaching, he said, my, my teacher, Shojin Rojin, often used this device, this, this teaching. Here is a special meaning, there, sorry, there is a special meaning in Joshua's citation of affirming faith in mind. Something really tremendous, illuminating the heavens and the earth. This supreme way with no difficulty is extremely hard to pass through, difficult to penetrate. And in Tenke, Tenke is a, um, a Soto master. He says, the way implies passage. It means that asses pass, horses pass. All beings equally pass without obstruction. But what is the supreme way spoken of here? Humans and angels are vertical, animals are horizontal, mountains are high, oceans are wide, east, west, south, north, the highway to the capital, the unique straight open road to the ultimate, the single path to the gate of Nirvana, taken by the blessed ones of the ten directions. There is no other way at all. You'd say all of, all of, that, all of that richness 
breadth and depth is summed up in the great way is not difficult. It's not difficult and it's not easy either given uh, how much we cling to our attachments. Just avoid picking and choosing. There's another way this line is translated. So he he sets out this this teaching. Then he says, but a single but with a single word there may, may arise picking and choosing, or there may be clarity. What is one of the points of this koan is to um, discern what he's talking about when he talks about clarity. We speak a single word and we can fall into discrimination, picking and choosing, or we can enter into clarity. Clarity is uh, a way of uh, saying awakened mind, clear mind, enlightenment. And it's an important point to look into with Joshua because um, we're all, we've all come from um, the, the busy lives full of making choices and acting and uh, we're going to return to that world. Sekida says of this, if you come out into the world of the activity of consciousness, in other words, if you say but a single word, as Joshi says, there may arise either delusion or entanglement. So how we um, encounter things is what counts. That determines whether there's delusion or enlightenment. So you'd think, okay, yep, um, it'd be good to stick with the with the enlightenment choice and avoid the delusion uh, through picking and choosing. But, but Joshua says, he goes on and says, um, this old monk does not abide within clarity. Do you appreciate the meaning of this or not? It's one of the points of the koan. What, what is he saying when he says this old monk does not abide within in clarity? Is he saying he's not enlightened? He could be. We, we saw how, uh, in the, I think in the last Taisho, the masters will, will beat down anything they think the student is attached to. And perhaps this, this um, monk who's, who's about to ask a question is, is caught up in um, being enlightened. 
Well, we get a little bit of a clue when Joshua says he does not abide in clarity. Remember the words from the Diamond Sutra which sparked Wei Nung's Kensho and became central to his whole teaching, founding of Chan and China, arouse the mind without its abiding anywhere. If you, if you abide anywhere, you, you turn that, that place into a thing and something solid and, and something that one tries to grasp. So even, even enlightenment has to be let go of. In fact, it's, it's recognized to be part of the, the process of, of, of Zen training that um, after awakening, you must get rid of it. Um, one contemporary Zen practitioner, I don't recall his name, he said, um, Zen is like soap. First you wash with it, then you wash it off. It's a perfect um, analogy for this process of um, getting rid of awakening. Um, and unfortunately it often involves getting rid of pride and uh, all kinds of things around self, which is such a paradox that you have this experience and then, then say afterwards, I am enlightened, I have insight. It's um, also pointing to our needing to not be aloof. Say, stay in the in the the blissful realm of emptiness, um, viewing everything around us as empty. Um, this is not going to be helpful to other beings, this kind of attitude. If we uh, return to, to samsara, we can be in it but not of it. The... the uh, we still engage with, with things and people and we make decisions, choices, in fact. But it's how we do this. We have a, can have a, a different relationship to our choices and the results of our choices. I heard a story from, from Roshi about when a, um, a, a Japanese sensei came to the States and was visiting the center, helping with some things, um, instruments and so forth. This is very early in the, in the development of the Rochester Zen Center. And um, 
they they took him to a, an ice cream parlor because they they wanted to expose him to American culture. And um, at this particular ice cream parlor, there were uh, 53 choices of flavors of ice cream. And after being presented with the menu, the 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 sensei just took took the the menu booklet and 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 just went that one. He didn't he didn't hum and ha or wonder which whether he was going to like it or not. He just made a made a choice. You could say a choice unattached to results, outcomes. He didn't say, oh, can I have green tea ice cream? Oh, you haven't got that. Oh, oh I won't have any then. Yamada Roshi um, illustrated this, this before and after an awakening experience by using an image of a kotsu, a stick. And he would, he would um, first of all, hold the stick horizontal, horizontally and said, this, is the, this represents the ordinary way of seeing things dualistically. So in the realm of, of, of gain and loss, righting wrong, before and after, the ordinary way, the, the time being linear, go from here to there, this is the beginning, this is the end. All of this he could see in this, this horizontal kotsu, horizontal stick, and say that awakening is bringing that sti stick to the vertical and to see the, in order to see the world of emptiness, and and that there there is this verticality at every single point on the, on a, our horizontal world, there is a, um, a um, vertical element running through that horizontal point that that points to this other dimension, the world of emptiness. The world of no change, no time, no here and there, presence. But once you have an insight into that world of emptiness, you, you, that's a very important turning point to really to be able to see and experience it directly for oneself, not as a concept. But there is a danger of getting stuck there. And when, in fact, you need to continue until the stick is brought back down to the horizontal, but now on the other side, you could just say on the, um, on the other shore. Now this is it's the realm of differentiation and phenomena, but at the same time, great peace of mind. The stick is, is horizontal again, but now it's, it's the other side of the stick. Horizontal and vertical uh, interpenetrating and seen as such.
This old monk does not abide within clarity. Do you appreciate the meaning of this or not? Sikida expands this, do you appreciate the meaning of this or not? By saying, do you value the attitude of mind that does not stick to anything? But valuing the attitude is itself open to criticism since it implies attachment to the state of mind in itself open to criticism. So as soon as, as soon as you place a value on anything, then, then you're picking and choosing, aren't you? It's no longer clarity. And Itzikida says, Joshua, of course, knew perfectly well that he was exposing himself to criticism here, but Zen masters are willing to risk ridicule and even shame for the sake of teaching their students. This is called trudging through the mire. So you could say here that, that Joshua is, is uh, trudging through the mire. And in fact, he does get questioned. This monk comes forward and says, if you do not abide in clarity, what do you appreciate? So he is actually pointing out the, the, the weakness in, in Joshua's statement. So if you're not enlightened, what is it that you, you base your understanding on? If you're not resting in no thought, aren't you then caught up in thought? And um, one of the points of the koan is, is discerning where the monk is coming from in his question. And this becomes um, clearer, clearer as we go to the subsequent exchanges between these two. But the first thing that Joshua says is, I don't know that either. So another point of the koan is, what's he, what's he saying here? What's his state of mind? Is his I don't know the same as or different from Bodhidharma's I don't know, which is the previous koan in this collection. This, is, this one is number two and Bodhidharma's I don't know is number one. What is Joshu presenting with his answer? Because you can be sure it's more than just, just saying I don't know. Then the monk asks quite a squirrely question. If you do not... Oh, sorry. Since you don't know, how can you say that you do not imply in within clarity? So if you don't know, how can you say you're not dwelling in no mind, in, in um, empty, empty, clear mind? So, 
It's a kind of a clever question. If you're, if you're coming from a place of not knowing, how can you say you're not dwelling in no mind? Clarity. But Joshua's re response is, is um, s sort of sidesteps it. He says, it is, un it is enough to ask about the matter. Now make your bow bows and retire. So more the points that one has to look into when working on this. Um, first of all, what is Joshua's state of mind? And uh, what is he saying here? I do remember that Joshua didn't start teaching until he was 80. So he would have been along in years when this exchange happened in his teaching career. Is he, is he annoyed by the, the monk's question? Does he feel like he's been caught out? And in what spirit did the monk ask this question? I can kind of guess from the, the response. Um, this, this way of responding to a question is being called, um, which appears here and there in the Khans, a low response. It's enough to ask about the matter, now make your bows and retire. In, in its cleverness, this question is, is really straying from the essential. It really, it, it, it's no longer to do with um, the great matter, birth and death. It's more trick, tricks of logic. And this is, this is the danger of, of Dharma di dialogue, that it can descend from, from being a, 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 a celebration of true nat nature through, through play, through Dharma play, um, or it can become more like one-upmanship, anything but Dharma play. And uh, there is definitely some of that in this, impl implied in this response of Joshua. It's not really a question worthy of, of an answer. We'll finish with um, Ingo's Wan um, Wu's introductory comments on this koan.
Yeah, this is Ingo's introduction from, from Sigurd's translation of these koans. The universe is too narrow. The sun, moon, and stars are all at once darkened. Even if blows fell from the stick, fall like raindrops, and the katsu shouts sound like thunder, you are still far short of the truth of Buddhism. Even the Buddhas of the three worlds can only nod to themselves, and the ancestors of all ages do not exhaustively demonstrate its profundity. The whole treasury of sutras is inadequate to expound its deep meaning. Even the clearest-eyed monks fail to save themselves. At this point, how do you conduct yourself? Mentioning the name of the Buddha is like trudging through the mire. To utter the word Zen is to cover your face with shame. Not only those who have long practiced Zen, but beginners too, should exert themselves to attain directly to the secret. Given, given the vastness and mystery of our universe, let alone of the great way, which is sometimes described as being a multiverse, we are invited to investigate sincerely, wholeheartedly. The great way is not difficult for those who do not pick and choose. When preferences are cast aside, the way stands clear and undisguised. We'll stop here and recite the four vows. The teaching you have received is offered freely. If you would like to make a donation to support the continuation of this podcast service or learn more about practice opportunities at the Auckland Zen Centre, please visit www.aucklandzen.org.nz.